Welcome and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. One of the most popular stories in the Bible takes center stage today. First Pres Senior Pastor Dan Chun continues the series on the character of God with the sermon, Loving the Father, Part 3. First, here's Helen Palmore reading from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Please stand with me, if able, as I read today's reading. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, A great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please, take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to his father, his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick! Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his fingers and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home... He heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. 
Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your, mon your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Helen. This parable is well known as the parable of the prodigal son, uh, but it could also be called the parable of the waiting father. Because when Jesus told this story, it was to show what God is like, and God in the story is, um, is the Father. Now, much of my research for this talk comes from two great scholars, Ken Bailey and Tim Keller. Now, when most of us hear the story of the prodigal son, we think we are the younger brother. Uh, we recognize that we're like him, sinners who need forgiveness. Uh, but this, this story could also be called the parable of the two brothers, or more accurately, it's the story of the two lost sons. That title can shock us because we think it's really about the younger son and there's nothing wrong with the older son, but we shall soon discover that both sons are lost and that we might actually be like the older son in more ways than one. If you haven't already, I hope you can... Listen to the podcast or watch the videos on the church app or the church website of parts one and two of today's sermon. Uh, my sermons on the parables of the lost coin, lost sheep, and, um, and with that context, it'll make this sermon more better if you do. Uh, if you miss them, no worry, I will preach the two previous sermons right now. <laughs> and then around noon, you can stay and hear the third one. Uh, my sermon will probably be as long as it takes to count the votes of the Iowa caucus. <laughs> Just kidding. Rather than give you an epic long sermon, let me condense the first two of the highlights. Uh, but first, who was Jesus talking to when he gave these parables? The people of the town, common folk, plus the Pharisees, you know them, the legalistic, rule-making, rule-abiding, ritualistic, regulation-making, and enforcing Pharisees. And they hate Jesus because he's taking away their power and he's getting more and more popular and he doesn't follow their moral rules. It is in that context of that audience that Jesus tells the parable of the two lost sons. The younger son, obviously lost, he demands for his inheritance from his father early. It's like saying he can't wait for his dad to die. And so uh, he just wants his share of the money now, and it's more important to him than his relationship with his father. So he takes his money, foolishly spends it all, then comes back, and we see that his father forgives him, loves him as if he never did anything wrong. Now remember the story, Jesus is trying to tell us what God the Father is like, and he loves us so much as a son or daughter, even if we run away. He wants to adopt us all into his family. So when the rude, rebellious son returns, the father hugs him and kisses him and gives his son the best robe, a ring on the finger, and sandals for his feet. The father throws a big party because the son was lost and now is found. Okay, now we come to part three of the love of the father God. 
and I pray that you feel his love during this service. Our story now picks up with the older son working in the fields like what a good son should be doing for his father. And while the younger son is immature and rude and foolish and a spendthrift, the older son is diligent, hardworking, and responsible. So the older son comes in from a hard day's work, and he is shocked to hear that a party is going on. And so he goes up to a servant and asks, so what the heck is going on? And the young person says, don't you know? Your brother has come back, and your dad has killed the fatted calf, the best calf, the one we took a long time to prepare for a special day, and yeah, the one that's been killed and prepared with all the trimmings for your brother is now being served at the party in his honor for his safe return. And the older son really gets ticked off. A party in his honor? Like what honor. My brother blew it. He took part of my money. He took my dad's money and spent it all. I will not be part of this celebration. No way am I going to this party. Now you have to realize this is a big problem because in ancient Middle Eastern culture, as the older son, he must be at the party. He's shaking hands, welcoming the guests for that would honor his father. He is supposed to be like the head waiter who would stand and wait on all of the guests. No way, he says. Now, many of us here today, they say, yeah, I would react like him too. I mean, that's not right how the fathers welcome and honored the younger son. Oh, the older brother's angry. He thinks this is not a fair deal, so he stays outside the party and pouts. He is steaming mad. Soon the father hears that his older son is outside the celebration, so the father goes out to him and begs him to please come in. And there are probably guests watching, listening. Now, maybe the older son is playing to an audience. The older son lets his father have it with a tirade of complaints, maybe even grandstanding to make his point and persuade the others watching, listening. He says, hey, all these years I have slaved for you. I've always done what you asked me to do. I've been super obedient. I never refused to do anything you asked me to do. And dad, did you notice I'm sweating? Yeah, I'm sweating because I came in from the field because I'm a hard worker, the real working, responsible son. And not once, dad, not once did you even give me a goat that I could have a party with my friends after all of my obedience and labor. And now your rebellious son gets the fatted calf after he has squandered your money on prostitutes. Now, notice what happens when he got angry. He exaggerated. He demonized his brother. He made the situation worse. And our Bible text does not say that the younger son was with prostitutes. But the older son is like throwing that in to make his case even stronger. Now, are we like the older brother when we get angry? We demonize the person we're angry with. We exaggerate the sin to make it worse and make ourselves look even better. Now, let's stop right there. Most Christians, when they read this story, they identify with the younger son. Nothing wrong with that. They think, you know, I've blown it. I've sinned. I was lost. God came running to me down a road, saved me, forgave me. We want to identify with the younger son. But friends... Hear this, I think 
many of us, maybe most of us, are actually the older son who is equally lost. It's easy to side with the um, older son. I mean, yeah, the younger son was a jerk. Why should he get a fattened calf and have a party thrown in his honor? It's not fair. It doesn't make sense. But my dear brothers and sisters, I think you and I may be the older son in the story. And maybe we are right now if we thought the younger son deserved nothing. The fact is, the older son is just as lost as the younger. So you ask, how is he lost? He is lost in his moral goodness. He may not even really love his father either. Really? Too many people think that they are so righteous that they don't need God. And in fact, they are doing God a favor by giving him money and allowing him to use their talents to accomplish his good. We are lost when we think that after all we've done for God, he owes us not a goat, but a fattened calf. You hear that sometimes when we suffer. And we say, after all I've done for God, why has this happened? Why do I have pain in my life? Why am I suffering? After all of the moral goodness in me and my hard working in the field, I deserve God's love. He owes me for his love, for the work I've done for him. And you see how this is transactional, um, how transactional this older son's love is for the father. Father, I work hard for you. I am obedient for you. Now you owe me more than a goat. It's kind of a, a quid pro quo faith. And we live in a time, even when I say quid pro quo, that's all like messed up. But the older son actually doesn't know the love of the father, so he works hard to get it. He serves him, but doesn't really know him. Oh my goodness, he is like a Pharisee. Is our love for God transactional like that? That somewhere in our minds, we think that for all of my good deeds, of course God must bless us if we work hard, for that is how we earn his love. But God the Heavenly Father loves us whether we serve him or not. And if we do serve him, it is be hopefully because we love him for who he is and not because we're trying to earn it. God wants the love of a daughter or a son to be more than I work hard for you so you owe me blessings. Those of us who are parents don't want the love of our children simply because we provide for them. Obedience for God out of love and gratitude is better than out of guilt or obligation. We love God, we worship Him, we pray to Him, because we love him and we love spending time with him. Remember now who's in the audience. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, those people who think they're so morally good because they follow the rules of a religion they created. 
They think that God owes them blessings because they're such good rule followers. They can't handle it that Jesus breaks all of their so-called godly rules when he like talks to women or he heals on the Sabbath. He's kind to prostitutes or drunkards or unclean lepers, sinners, irreligious people, lost people who don't follow the rules. And the shock for us all is that there may be some Pharisee in us. For we may think, I am godly, I do the right things, I do plenty of good deeds, I, I give money to God, I, I'm righteous, I've earned God's love, I vote the right way, I support the right uh, causes, I support the right politician, because I'm a Christian, unlike those pagans over there. I mean, talk about polarization. We Christians are really good at polarization. One day, I was in Fellowship Hall, and, uh, and a visitor who just came out of the worship service uh, randomly said to me, you know, I don't know how anyone can be a Christian and be a Democrat. <laughs> and I said, you don't mean that, do you? I know you're checking out our church, but we don't think ill of either political party. It's not a litmus paper test of whether you're a Christian I mean, I mean, whether you pump the Trump or feel the burn or you're riding on Biden <laughs> or you believe in Buddha or Buddha Jig, we don't talk ill of each other in our church. We are free to believe and support whatever party we choose. And as Christians, we can make thoughtful choices on our own, and, and yet we must be unified in Christ alone. Remember that the King James Bible in Matthew 9, 11, that it says that Jesus ate with the publicans and the sinners, not the republicans and the sinners. <laughs> and the fact that he rode a donkey on Palm Sunday doesn't mean <laughs> like he's not going to be on an elephant. I mean, really? Like, you know. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees who believed they are good law-abiding righteous people who felt Jesus was evil and should be killed. They believed they were the chosen, certainly not the lost. The older son, like the Pharisees, points out a long list of his brother's sins, but his evaluation of himself is that he is faultless in the moral rules. He has no flaws, no faults, no sin, and that means he is prideful and probably blind. How often do we truly have a time of personal confession of our sins in our own prayers. Let me say that again. How often do we truly have a time for personal confession of our sins in our prayers? And that might determine which son we are in this story. Once a newspaper asked the question, what is wrong with the world? And the famous uh, British writer G.K. Chesterton responded and wrote back, I am when we really believe that, we are closer to God and understand what Jesus was really saying. Who is responsible for global warming and pollution? I am. By what I eat, what I drive, what containers I use for my food, God didn't warm or pollute his creation or kill his creatures unnecessarily in the oceans or on land or torture them for entertainment. We did. Who's responsible for poverty and crime? Not God. We are, as a family system, has broken down. So here's the deal. Unless we know we are lost, we're never going to be found. 
But God is always seeking us. But we don't see him running down the road towards us until we know we're lost. He seeks us in many ways. And for some, it can be dramatic, as dramatic as Paul, the Apostle Paul, being knocked down, you know, on the Damascus Road by the light of Jesus. Or for Moses, who encountered God in a burning bush that didn't really burn. Or the prodigal son who comes to his senses in a muddy pig pen. It's when the son realized he was lost in the mud that he realized how he needed to go back to the father. And for many of us, it's not going to be as dramatic, might be slower, more subtle, and finding God maybe kind of like how the father in the parable is trying to talk to the older son who's literally outside the party so angry with him. Maybe as angry as some of you might be with God right now. God is still seeking us. He's always, he always makes the first move. And I like what Tim Keller wrote in his really great book called The Prodigal God. Uh, one of the best books on God's love. Highly recommend it. And he wrote this about God the Father seeking us. He said, sometimes he, God, quietly and patiently argues with us even though we continue to turn away as in the case of the older son. How can you tell if he is working on you right now? If you begin to sense your lostness and find yourself wanting to escape it, you should realize that, that that desire is not something you could have generated on your own. Such a process requires help. And if it is happening, it's a good indication that he is even now at your side. Do we think we have been saved because we have followed some moral code of obedience and repentance? You know, I have a friend who said he has accepted Christ, but he no longer goes to church or serves the Lord, or even prays, because he felt he did the minimum in saying the right prayer of conversion, that I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He felt he's basically a good person. He said he did the right thing. So no prayers or no church now. So is he saved? Is that the relationship God the Father wants with his children? Are we just trying to live lives to the minimum? Again, Tim Keller says this. He says, to truly become Christians, we must also repent of the reasons we ever did anything right. Pharisees only repent of their sins, but Christians repent for the very roots of their righteousness too. We must learn how to repent of the sin under, under all other sins and under all of our righteousness, the sin of seeking to be our own Savior and Lord. We must admit that we put our ultimate hope and trust in other than God. And then both our wrongdoing and our rightdoing, we had been seeking to get around God, or hear this, or get control of God in order to get hold of those things. And when you realize that the antidote to being bad is not just being good, now you're on the brink. If you follow through, it'll change everything. How you relate to God, self, others, the world, your work, your sins, your virtue. It's called the new birth because it's so radical. Tim Keller. At the end of the parable, the father says to the older brother, Look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. 
So did you hear that? The father is saying, everything I have is yours. It's true. When the father dies, it all goes to the son. And for all of us children of God, you will have it all in heaven. And you can have an abundant life here on earth. But for now, can you celebrate when a brother or sister who was spiritually dead and now has come back to life because of a relationship with God the Father? He or she was lost, but now was found. Now notice the story ends right there. And you think, oh man, what happened next? I mean, yikes, we don't know what the older brother did. Did he go into the house? Did he have a change of heart? Did he reconcile with his father and his brother? Did he now see that one could rejoice when, when one who was lost is now found? I actually think it's fine that the parable ends right there. And we don't know how the story continues. You know why? You know why? Because how the story ends is up to you. You now write it. Are you going to be the older son or daughter who is angry or always feels you have been given the short end in life? Or are you going to devote yourself to help seek the lost on behalf of God and bring them into the incredible, unconditional, forgiving, merciful, gracious love of God the Father? What will be your life story? How will this parable end? You know, one of the people I really respect is um, church member Carol Hickerson. Um, you may not know this, but a, a picture that Carol drew for a letterhead was put on the MIA flag. MIA stands for Missing in Action um, and the POWs. Uh, during the Vietnam War, um, Carol's first husband who was a marine helicopter pilot, was shot down over Laos. And for years, she didn't know if he was alive or not. So she wanted to make sure that our nation would never forget all those missing in action and the POWs, and that our country would try to find them to see if they were living or if they died, and if they did die, to bring their remains home. And that black flag flies all over this state. I see it often when I go over the McCulley Bridge near the LOI, uh, but it's around the nation. It's a constant reminder for all of us to not forget those missing in action. By God's grace, her husband's remains were found and returned to America, and today she is happily married to Jim Hickerson, who also was shot down over Vietnam, but survived, but experienced five-plus years of torture, and imprisonment there. And uh, they're truly some of my heroes, and they're here today. Now, my question today is this. Do we have a heart, not only for the physically MII, but for those who are spiritually MIA, MIA, those who have been, who have missed out on the, the love of God who don't know him as father. Is that kind of flag faithfully flying in our hearts? Let me tell you another true uh, Vietnam story as once reported many, many years ago in Life magazine. 
A young soldier named Lieutenant Daniel Dawson was MIA uh, during that war. His reconnaissance uh, plane was shot over the, the jungles where the Viet Cong uh, inhabited. And the family could not get any information about him through official channels. Um, it's why Carol Hickerson started her MIA movement, or was a part of that, and, and the flag. So the soldiers, so the soldier's 23-year-old uh, older brother, uh, Donald Dawson, um, sold much of what he had and uh, left his wife and four children for a season and flew to Vietnam. And he risked his life, searched all over the hills and rice paddies and jungles for his lost brother. It has been said that he was never harmed because those on both sides heard of his dedication and they respected his search to find his brother. He had made leaflets and he was always being handing out leaflets to anybody he would see that, have you seen my, my brother, Daniel Dawson? Um, unfortunately, he discovered his, his brother had died. Uh, amazingly, he, w- he found his brother's flight vest, and the Viet Cong said they would show him his brother's grave after the war ended. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see where this is leading. You see, that is what the older brother should have done in the parable. He should have said, Father... My brother has been such an idiot, such a fool to disrespect you and leave you. I shall go out and find him. I will spend my money. I will leave my family, and I will find him. And if my crazy brother has blown all of his inheritance, I will bring him back into the family at my expense because I know all the land will be mine someday and will generously share it with him when he returns. That's what older brothers do who have been blessed. That's how the story should have continued. That's what older brothers do when people are lost. And that's what they do out of a true love for God the Father. Friends, when we moved here to Ko'olau, we came here so that more people might find God and share all of this land and buildings with us. Now, some people oppose the move. But we needed more parking and more space to seek out and find and train people to reach more people for God. In the last five years, more than 800 people have been baptized or rededicated their lives to Christ on Easter as well as other Sundays. Maybe some of you who are here this morning, maybe many of you had a part in shaping their lives towards Jesus. I remember a 101-year-old Stu who came up and his wife said, thank God you did this baptism, that he could do this. And now Stu's gone. Sometimes I hear people say, Dan, I really don't like how you do Easter services because you do those darn baptisms that they take so long. Please eliminate them. (laughs) And that is so missing the point. That can be the older brother talk of, why celebrate that some have finally come to God? Just give me more music for me. Easter is for me. But God the Father is saying, no, my child, the party is for them. For they are admitting that once they were lost and now are found and they want to dedicate their lives to follow Jesus. 
to follow God the Father. Yes, it takes another five, seven, ten minutes to baptize. Can we not rejoice and know that the sacred fatted calf of our clock is being killed, that we might rejoice that our friends were once lost and now being found by God the Father? And whether Ko'olau or the vine, it's like, come on, people. We're to be involved in inviting our non-Christian friends Yes, those who are like us, those who are lost like we once were without God. Yes, those who need the hug and adoption of God into his family. Helping people to find the Father should be a top priority. And we should be searching the cities of jungles to find them. And when a seeker finally comes and we say, you can't sit there, that's my seat. (laughs) That's the talk of an older brother. We have forgotten the purpose of our Sunday morning, which is to bring more people to Christ, where we live for others who are not here, where all seats are for new people. And when we are rude to the Ko'olau ballroom staff who puts up our chairs or cooks our food and serves on Sundays, and many of them are unchurched, that's the rudeness of an older brother that says, hey, you serve me because it's my party. When we don't give a rip about bringing friends to know Jesus, that's the older brother who's saying, you know, I'm kind of busy, and I'm busy in my own moral goodness. I don't have time for others. It's the older brother or sister in us that forgets our own sinfulness and only focuses on our goodness and our deeds and our blessings from all of the Father's property that we then don't give a darn about evangelism. When we say the vine is going to be focused on the unchurched, we're dead serious. It's not just for believers from here to then go up and fill up the 150 seats. Well, that's not a growth. It's just a transplant. The time has come. When we say, if you come to the vine, please bring an unchurched person with you, we're serious. People ask, is it only for young adults? I think the music and the worship style will dictate that it is for those young at heart, whatever age. I just came back from a service in Southern California. 1,500 people, rock and roll, loud. Half the church were senior citizens, young at heart. When we say, please bring an unchurched friend to Kotla or any of our programs, events, we're dead serious. When we say, don't hang around with Christians all the time, but be out in the community to love and relate to people. Serve the city. Help make it a better place. And through your friendships, bring them into a relationship that bathes in God's love. We're dead serious. For once, we were dead in Christ and now can be found. So how does today's parable end? Well, it's going to be written by you. Will older and younger sons and daughters join the party of God the Father? So I'm going to ask this to close out. I'm going to ask, as this is a community, and we always want to have a moment when we just truly express our love for God in courageous ways. I'm going to ask if any of you want to rededicate your life in terms of reaching people for Christ. To perhaps in humility repent of the self-identity of moral goodness. But to say, you know what, I really do when a new rekindled heart to help other people find Christ in the spirit of one bigger 
trying to help another beggar find food. The food being Jesus who said, I am the bread of life. And so I would ask if any of you are at that point where you really want to say that to God and write the end of this parable, to stand, and I want to pray for you. Could you do that right now? Is there anybody here who would like to make that decision and just stand? And then I'm going to ask that those of you who may be around them, you may be across an aisle or behind them, if they give you permission, if you can just go up to them and, and lay a hand uh, and silently pray with me as I pray for all these people. So just look around. If you see anybody by himself or herself, can you just go over there and put a hand on that person and, and pray for them? And, and um, Thank you, Bambi. Is everybody, I can't see everything. Is everybody, we need some people here up front. Is there anybody near that could turn around or just put a hand on them? And, and that would be fantastic. I hope everybody's covered. You okay right here? Is there? Okay. All right. Please join me in prayer. Gracious God, I pray for these courageous people who are standing up because they're saying they want to write a different end in the parable. And they, out of humility and of courage, they're saying, I want to write a new chapter in my life. I want to rekindle those fires that I once had, that passion to help others come to Christ, whether my family or my colleagues or my friends. So, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit fall upon them in a very special way. Fill them with your love. Fill them with your wisdom. Come, Holy Spirit. Pour into them like a gentle stream from the top of their head through their bottom of their feet like a gentle waterfall. And may they feel blessed. And maybe in a humble heart, they may repent of apathy or lack of caring for those who don't know you. I know confession clear, clears out the heart. And God's love, God continually wants to pour out his love for all of you. And some of you, you might want some prayer, and he wants to meet you in prayer. And our prayer team will be in front of the cross and in front of the choir risers. And so after the, the, the service, please come up if you want to prayer. And they would love to bring you into the presence of our loving God. And now for all of you, I have a blessing. So please receive this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and his countenance be over you. And may you know deep in your heart the wonderful, unconditional, gracious love and mercy of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. May God be with you always. In Christ's name, amen. God bless. There are so many lessons packed into this one parable. From this, we learn that the character of God is generous, loving, and forgiving. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Prez website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us at one of our worship services on campus at 45550 Keona Ole Road, Kaneohe, Hawaii, 96744. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.11. 11. Follow First Prez on Twitter and Facebook. Download the First Prez app. Watch First Prez sermon videos on our website and on Facebook. If you need more, call us at 
512-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chan and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2020 and produced by the media ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau.